It's your first week. I just want to kind of catch you up quickly on what we've been. We, we've been in a, in a series called Advent. Advent just means coming or arrival. And so, obviously, Christmas season, we've been celebrating Christ's first advent, his, his first coming or arrival. You know, he, he was born, he put on flesh and dwelt among us and uh, lived out his life, went to the cross, uh, died, and then uh, resurrected and has ascended to be the right hand of the Father. Well, we celebrate his first coming uh, with his first advent. We're also, we look forward to his second advent, that he is coming again. And, and, and much of remembering the first advent is a reminding and a remembering of the, the advent to come. And, and so that's what we're really going to talk about this morning. And, and, and kind of in conjunction with where we've been, we've been looking at the offices of Christ. Like, who is Jesus? And, and why do those things matter? And so, so we, we, you know, he had three offices that we talked about. First week, we talked about that he is prophet. Jesus is prophet. That he is the living word of God given to the people. That he, he is is the ultimate prophet. We, the second week we talked about Jesus as priest, that he is the mediator and the only mediator between God and man. That, that the only way that man can be made right before God forever is by, by Jesus. But faith and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. Uh, he is the only way that we can be justified and, and, and redeemed from our sin. He is the only mediator. He's the priest. He's the just and the justifier. We saw that a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about Jesus being king. We talked about the, the, the false dichotomy that, that he's somehow savior, but he's not Lord. And we talked about the importance that, uh, of, of bowing our knee to Christ, that he is ruler and reigner. And reign, he rules and reigns over all creation, over all kings and kingdoms. And, and he is to be uh, obeyed and, and followed and, and submitted to. And, and and that's who he is. He's prophet, priest, and king. Those are his offices. And, and particularly in light of last week, I kind of begin to double down on, on what, where we're going this week, which is that he is coming again. And he, he will establish that kingdom forever, that, that Jesus is, in fact, uh, coming again. And, and my hope is that today we, we get that understanding that his return is imminent and, and kind of our hearts move from just an anticipation of him coming to a preparation for him coming. That, that, that our lives begin to look like a people that are ready for Christ to, to come again. So, uh, we, you know, we, just as a reminder, we, we talked last week about um, when Jesus is going to come again, you know, he's not going to come as we did the first time. The first time he came as a suffering servant. He came as a lamb. When he comes again, he's coming as a conquering king. He's coming as a lion. He, he's coming, as Revelation 19 says, on a white horse. The first time he came as a donkey, right? He came into Jerusalem riding a donkey. And, and as a prince of peace does, as someone who brings peace to mankind does, he came in riding a donkey. When he comes again, he'll be riding a, a white horse. And I just want to read that to you. I read it as our benediction last week. We, but I just want to read it to you again. This is Revelation 19, 11. It says this. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has written, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, this picture is a long way off from, you know, like Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Where we, um, it, it's, it's two different pictures of two different comings of Christ. And yet both of them are, 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 are making war. See, the, one of the things we have to understand about the very character and nature and attributes of God is that, yes, God is love, but he is also wrath, meaning he will also punish all sin. And, and those things coexist within God. And uh, it, it's what makes him just and the justifier. It, it's, it's what makes him who he is. And, you know, I, I didn't experience this in the fullness until I experienced this uh, when I had my first child. Like parents can understand this kind of combination of both love and wrath coming together when you have a child. When I, when I held Josiah, my firstborn, he's, 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 he's brand newborn. He's sitting in my arms. It's the first time that I said, I love this kid so much. And it was the first time I had the thought that if anyone messes with this kid, I'll kill him. I, I had a wrath that was rooted in a love. And, and this, is, this is exactly what God does. He, he, he wouldn't be loving if he also wasn't wrathful towards the things that are most damning to his creation, which namely is sin and the evil one. And so he's love, he's wrath, he, he's, he's both those things perfectly. And, uh, and, 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 and so... He has, and we're going to talk about this in, in second, the Second Peter 3 passage, but he has extended his grace upon humanity, all of our existence in reality, and, and, and there's coming a day when that extension of grace will cease to be offered to those who haven't accepted it. There's coming a day when that extension of grace will stop and the wrath of God will be poured out on the world, on humanity, which does several things for us. It gives us a great urgency in preaching the gospel. We have, we shouldn't be lethargic. We shouldn't be apathetic in our proclamation of the gospel. There's, we don't know when that time will be. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know, but we do know that it's imminent. It is coming. Therefore, the seriousness in which we communicate the gospel is important. Um, because, you know, the, the day for the possibility of repentance is going to come to an end. It's going to stop eventually. And, uh, and so also I want to talk about in light of that coming and, and how are we as believers to live? How are we to think? How are we to worship? What, what are we to be doing with our lives in consideration, not just of his first advent, but also of his, of his second advent? So let's dive in. Second Peter 3. Uh, and I'm, we're going to break this into sections, but I'm going to start in 1 through 4. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. That's important. He calls them beloved. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians here. Second letter that I'm not writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued, are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. 
I'm going to stop there for a second. First point I want us to get today is that it's important for us to remember that remembering, I think, is a very important spiritual discipline for, for believers. And notice this text says, you shall remember the predictions of the prophets. We, we have to work at remembering. Praise God that he has given us things like Siri, um, things like a wife, right? Um, we need to work at remembering. We, you know, you may have a lot of different checks and balances in your life to help you remember things. That's because we need the help uh, to, to remember. And the same thing is true when it comes to spiritual things because I think our natural bent, instead of remembering all the goodness of God and it, you know, erupting in us in worship and praise, I think our default uh, kind of reality is that we tend to forget all the goodness and promises of God and we end up slipping into more entitlement and pride. And so we have to be a people that work at remembering the promises that God has laid out for us. And, and, and this is not foreign to, to humanity and the history of humanity. You look at Israel, the story of Israel in the desert and beyond, and their kind of story is this brutal cycle of God does something amazing. They are saved or worship God in, in incredible ways. They, they make promises. God will never turn our back on you again. And then they do. And they worship some pagan idol. They walk, they, 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 you know, this kind of, you know they, they have spiritual ADD, so to speak. They just kind of go to the next thing, right? And then God gives them over to either, they, God kills them with, you know, poisonous snakes, or he, you know, he gives them over to some nation to be captured. And, and all of a sudden, they come to their senses like, oh, we've got a God that did amazing things for us. And so God, again, restores them, saves them, makes them a nation, makes them their own people. And they do the whole thing again. It's a real brutal cycle, but it kind of happens for us too and it may not be years over years in which it happens sometimes it happens to us on a daily routine like we have God do something amazing on Sunday like God moves or he speaks to you through his word or through the worship and then Monday hits and it's like oh where is God <laughs> like we have this kind of cycle and so, so remembering for us is an important uh, a spiritual discipline now how are we to remember the scriptures are how we are to remember. It's the primary way by which we remember. Uh, look at the text. The text says, the predictions, of, uh, remember our predictions of the prophets and the commandments of the Lord given through the apostles. So the predictions of the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. Uh, the, the commandments of the Lord given through the apostles, he's talking about Paul's writings. He's talking about the New Testament. Uh, he's saying the way that we remember is by going to the scriptures. Uh, and, and this is why it's so important for us as believers to have a regular time of devotion for the Lord. This is not some legalistic thing that you need to do, like i got to check off three chapters a day or, or I'm not a good Christian. What we're doing when we come to reading the scriptures is we're laying ourselves before them and we're remembering the goodness and greatness of God in all his many promises. We're looking at how he has saved a wretch like me. Every time we open the scriptures, we should be confronted with the realities that God has moved on, a, on my behalf, though I didn't earn it or deserve it. And so this act of remembering causes me to be in this position of, of, of humility, of dying to myself, of, of laying down my ambitions or rights and taking up the cross and following after him. And every time we open the scriptures, it's this act of remembering. Every time we sit in his presence, it's this act of remembering. You know, we, we have something better than Google Calendar. We have something better than Siri. And we have this word of God. 
and we sit before and we remember the promises that God has given to us and, and we sit in it and we remember that he has saved me though I didn't deserve it and we sit in it and we remember that he's coming again for his bride and this, this, this remembering is important for us it's important for us because it keeps us as the text goes on it really keeps us from following our own sinful desires You, most oftentimes when we follow our sinful desires, it's because we, honestly we just haven't laid ourselves before the graces of God to remember what He has done and died to ourselves before they come out to other people. It, it kills our sinful desires. Remembering, going to the Word. And, and then look at verse 3. It says, uh, the notion of Christ's second coming is not a popular thought that's going to be embraced by everybody. There's scoffers that scoff. I love the way the text says that. Uh, the, the scoffers that scoff, they, they do what they do. Uh, but, but Peter is saying that there's these guys who come and they mock the promises of God. And, and, and that's no different from us today. There's more skeptics in our world than, our, than there are bandwagon Bama fans, right? I mean, we have a ton of uh, skeptics in, in our world. I would, I would encourage you, though, that um, what we're going to see in this text, what I think is important for us to understand is that, and what Peter is, is helping us to understand, is that skept the, the Word of God in Christianity can stand up to skepticism. We don't need to cower down to, to the skeptic thinking we don't have... This has stood against skepticism for 2,000 years. But it, it, it can stand the test of the critic. And, and that's fine. We can let it stand the test. But, but primarily what Peter's saying, what, what, what happens in people's hearts is not... They're not scoffing because of some great flaw within the text or, or, or some kind of aha moment. They've got God figured out. They've figured out these things aren't true. The reason why people do that is because they suppress what is true they, they, they are they they take what is true they understand what is true but they don't want to walk in it they don't want to believe it and so he's telling us the foundational motive for people rejecting the message of the gospel isn't isn't that Christianity, the claims of Christianity are weak or unfounded or, 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 or disproven it's simply they've rejected Christ because of their own sinful desires what he says and, and Romans 1 echoes this but Romans 1 says that no man is without excuse that means when we all die and stand before the Lord even the person who who whatever hasn't come to faith in Christ and, and maybe has never even heard the gospel they too will be without excuse excuse because all creation explains that there is a God now, no no one will have an excuse when they stand before God for why they rejected God no one and the reality that, that Peter is explaining to us here is that the reason why people, they don't believe that truth is because they, they suppress it. They don't want to believe it because of their own sinful desires. That's what Romans 1 says. They, 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 they suppress the truth. They worship the creation rather than the creator. They suppress the truth. And you know this to be true before you became a believer. It wasn't the arguments against Christianity that kept you away from Christianity. It's that you wanted to be your own God. You wanted to be in control. You didn't want somebody telling you how to live or how, what you were supposed to do with your life or how you are supposed to love other people. You, you didn't want to give up your Sundays. It, it, this is, so you suppress the truth because you don't want it to be true. 
And this is what happens in the hearts of non-believers. It's a suppression of the truth. It's not, it's not that the word can't stand up to criticism, because it certainly can. But it's a suppression of truth that keeps people away from the gospel. He goes on to explain it further, uh, 5 through 7. For they deliberately overlook. That's important. They deliberately, intentionally, on purpose, they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished but by the same word the heavens and earth now exist are stored up for fire being kept into the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly so they deliberately overlook. What do they deliberately overlook? They deliberately overlook that God is the creator God and that he's sovereign over all creation. And then he's not only sovereign of all creation, he's also sovereign over all the events of creation. So he's laying out this foundation that everyone believes that there was a flood and, and they're, they're holding, but, but, but they're, they're suppressing that this was God. They're suppressing that, uh, that this was in judgment of sin. They're, they're suppressing those things. And they, they, they're just saying that they're, they're mocking that God's not going to come again and he's saying no 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 listen you need to understand you're deliberately overlooking the fact that God is creator and he's sovereign over all things over all the world over over all of life now this scripture um, but this by the same word the heavens and the earth that now exists are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly you're not going to get that stitched on a lot of pillows a lot of Christmas mugs, you know, for the destruction of the ungodly. Uh, it's not a lot of scripture memory verses, Second Peter here. It's not, uh, but what we, what we see and what, what we need to understand here is, is the, and the, the scoffers in this passage are mounting an argument against Christ's prediction that he's coming again. And Peter uh, is stating that there's a reason why everything has continued as it has. The, the scoffers are saying, God can't be real. He said he was going to come again. He hasn't come again yet. What's wrong with your God? And Peter's going to explain what God is up to. Uh, and, and, and he begins that argument by saying, God is in control. God is in control. God was in control when he created the heavens and the earth. God was in control when he reigned on the earth and flooded the earth and killed everyone except for eight people. God was in control. And every time we see a rainbow in the sky, we remember it. Now, all the times we, we kind of, we um, you know, kidify this up. I don't know why. We, sometimes we paint it in, like, kids' nurseries, like this rainbow. Like, yes, it represents the promise of God. It also represents he killed everybody but eight people. So it's like, yeah, here's a warm, pleasant thing for you, kid. God killed everybody. Isn't that nice? So he kills everybody except for eight people. He kind of hits reset on humanity, but obviously there was a problem. Our hearts were still in, in the humans. Uh, we still had a sin issue. And it's one of the reasons why God did what he did, so that we can understand this isn't a, hey, let's just you know, get rid of this entire people group, and then we're going to be a lot better. No, we won't be, because we still have us. We still have the curse of sin on us. And, and so, so every time we see a rainbow, we need to not just 
glory in God's promise that he will never flood the earth again and destroy the earth in that way, we also need to be reminded that he hasn't promised that he won't destroy the earth again. Because Peter just says he's storing up fire for the destruction and, and the judgment of the ungodly. And we know that heaven means what it's going to look like. It's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and all that we know is going to burn up and be made new. The, the judgment of God's fire is going to be poured out. It's not, going to be, it's not going to be drowned in water again, but there's a fire stored up that's going to be poured out on all the earth. And so Peter, here again, is just, is just leaning on God's sovereignty. He's sovereign in, in, in the birth of his son, he was sovereign in Jesus putting on flesh and dwelling among us. He was sovereign in, in how he was born in Bethlehem, how he fled to Egypt, how he was from Nazareth. He was sovereign in how he, he grew up. He was sovereign in when he started his ministry. He was sovereign over him going to the cross. Acts 4 tells us that his crucifixion was a part of the plan and predestination of God. So he dies on the cross according to the plan and predestination of God. He's laid in a tomb. He rises again three days later, defeating death and sin with finality he then spends some time with his disciples before he ascends living sitting at the right hand of the father god is in control and there is nothing that can thwart the plans of god now how does this affect us because so often we play the part of of chicken little right sky's falling it's the worst it's ever been you know gas prices are 350 um, blink, they're going to be higher. You, you know, like the economy, the, the viruses, uh, you name it. We have a, a million things for us to cower in fear over. I would just remind us that God is sovereign. And there is nothing that can thwart the plans of God. Nothing. Nothing that can thwart the plans of God. Look what he says in 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. Again, they deliberately overlook this. Do not overlook this, believer, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. I think a point here that's important for us to make is that God is patient, not slow, God is patient, but not slow. Peter continues in the passage by challenging this understanding of the nature of God. See, see we count slowness based on time. We're, we're, we're creatures bound by time. Everything we do has a time. What, what time are we going to go eat lunch? What time is this preacher going to shut up so I can get out of here? What, what time is kickoff today? Like Everything we do is centered around time. God created time. He's not bound by it. God is outside of time. 
And so Peter's saying a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. Like you think God is slow because he's delayed, but God is in his perfect time doing exactly what he wants to do and nothing will thwart the plans of God. I think about, we, we sang, I don't know if it's in the next song or we sang it in the songs before, because when you sing them twice in two services, I always get mixed up with songs. Uh, but one of, the, one of the songs talks about the, the 400 years between Malachi and Christ's coming. Could you imagine being on year 200? 250? And you're like, man, are these promises true? Is the Messiah going to come? Rome's taken over? Is this Messiah thing real? But God is not slow as some count slowness. He works in perfect measure, in perfect time. And his will and plan will not be thwarted. Now, this is mind-boggling to us because we're, we're finite beings. We're bound by time. God is outside of it. He, 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 there's no past or present to him. I mean, past, present, or future to him. He's outside of those things. Now, verse 9 says, again, he's not slow to count. There's some count slowness. It, 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 you know, uh, we could be sitting here saying, well, it's been 2,000 years. Is it going to be 2,000 more? If it were, God would not be slow. He would be right on time, right on perfect time. So he's not slow as some count slowness. And on top of that, he goes on, basically, let me tell you why God is, seems slow. Let me explain to you why God has restrained the second coming. God has restrained the second coming because he is holding back the very wrath of God that will swallow up the ungodly in fire so that they can come to repentance because he is loving and merciful. Every day that Jesus does not split the sky open and roll it back as a scroll is a day of mercy. It's a day of grace. It's a day of an offering of a banquet table that says, come and eat. Every day. Come and repent. He's not being slow. He's got a plan. And his plan is to rescue men and women from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. To see the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And I would push back on our ideologies a little bit because we center so much of Christianity around our context in America, but there's so much going on. You know there are more Christians today than there have ever been? On the, on the, on the face of the planet, numerically, there are more Christians today than have ever been. So what that means is the kingdom of God is not retreating. Uh, you know, it's, it's coming very soon that believers in India and believers in China will outpace us numerically. It, it won't be long before China is sending missionaries to America to bring the gospel to America. And I say this because every tribe, nation, and language is being saved to be gathered around the throne of God to worship him forever. Praise be to God that the church is thriving and is thriving in places where they have to worship in secret, where they're not free to worship. 
And so the gospel is going out. The kingdom is growing. Just because we maybe not feel that in our context in a lot of ways, do not misunderstand that God is moving and working on behalf of humanity. He's working and moving. And his plans will not be thwarted. And he's slow in coming again as an act of mercy on us that those who continue to suppress what is true would have their eyes open to the truth of that gospel and come to the banquet table of Christ. He's patient because he loves you. He's not slow. He's patient because he you know, he has died for a particular people to draw them into himself. And, he, and, and the sheep are, that, that are going to be saved have not, uh, that are, are of other folds have not yet been brought in. So by his goodness and grace, he delays his coming that they might come to faith and repentance in Christ. And he's saving all over the world. He's rescuing. He's redeeming all over the world right now. And maybe this idea of Christ coming again kind of jostles you a little bit and shakes you a little bit, maybe puts you in, a, in, in the seat of a scoffer. But, but what the deficiency of the scoffer is in, in, in the understanding of God's character. What you think is not real because he hasn't done it yet is God's great grace and mercy on humanity to see people come into faith in Christ. What you presume to be a character flaw of the nature of God is actually the character and nature of God being put on display. Why hasn't he come back yet? Why hasn't he fulfilled his promise? Because he is who he is. And he is patient and kind. And there is coming a day that that patience and kindness will no longer be extended to the ungodly and unrighteous. But that day is not yet. Now, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a thousand years. But what we need to understand is that there is an unbelievable invitation to humanity that says, come and dine at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Ye who are tired and heavy laden come and I will give you rest you are thirsty come for I'm living water and you'll never thirst again for the hungry I'm the bread of life there's an incredible invitation to you there's an incredible invitation to the world to come and be saved while there's still time. God is not cruel. God is merciful. Look how long he's been holding out. Think of how many believers are going to be around that throne because he didn't come a thousand years ago. It's mercy and grace on us. And for the believer, this should create in us an urgency in, in evangelism, but it should also create an urgency in holiness. Uh, look at um, 
Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That is a question I think we should continuously ask ourselves. Again, since all these things are to be dissolved, everything in the world is going to be burned up with fire, is what Peter just said. Your car, your house, your money, any good deed not done in faith, it's going to be burned up with fire. It's going to be dissolved. Given that, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of the things that matter? Holiness and godliness. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. My hope today as we talk about the Lord's coming again that we would move from this anticipation of his coming and from an anticipation of the second advent to a preparation Uh, the scripture before this talks about he's coming like a thief you know if a thief's coming to my house if i know what time he's coming to my house if i find out a thief is coming to my house at two in the morning you know what i'm not going to do i'm not going to sleep at two in the morning i'm going to i'm going to ready i'm going to do something to be ready for the thief that i know is coming to rob my house at two in the morning you know that may entail you know calling the cops for me i'm getting out all my guns i know some of you florida people are offended by that but i'm from tennessee i got a lot of guns and uh and i like a challenge so uh he's coming at two i know he's coming i'm gonna load up Right? And you will too. You will prepare in whatever way to defend your family and home. Some of you, you don't like guns, you'll grab a broom or something. Or some of you just seeing you at two in the morning will make them run off. Let that sit in. But we're going to be ready, right? We're not going to just sit, we're not going to just be apathetic and just pretend like it ain't happening. We're going to be ready for him coming again. This is the same thing we need to be spiritually. We know he's coming. We don't know the hour. We need to prepare as though he's coming at any hour. What that means for us is being spiritually alert. Now, this doesn't mean that some people translate it as like, okay, I can't ever sleep. I got to always be ready. I got to always be ready. No, no. We, we are people, though, however, that are spiritually awake, spiritually alert. The things of the world have not so entangled our heart as to dull our spiritual senses that we care more about the gospel than we do about YouTube losing ESPN yesterday. That we are spiritually aware of the things that are happening in our families and in our church and in our neighborhood and in our co-workers that, that we don't just go to work to make a paycheck, but we go to work to be missionaries. That we're spiritually awake and alert. That we guard our homes from the evil one that would love to come in and destroy our families, our marriages, and our children. That you, maybe just grandparents, you're going to gather up your families at Christmas. That you take every opportunity given to you to 
Proclaim the gospel. Then maybe you read Luke 2. Maybe you pray over your family. Before you get the presents in ham, that you would spend time worshiping Christ at your lead. And maybe you're young. You're not the patriarch of your family, but, but you still have influence, and you can still gather the family up and pray and maybe read the scriptures in Luke 2 and, and just the, the Christmas story and that we're spiritually aware. We don't just blindly walk through life and, and pretend as though Christ isn't coming again. Because we might say it, he's coming again. We may even pray it. Lord, would you come again? Mar Maranatha, would you come again? Yes, come quickly. But if we we're to examine our lives, would, it, would we live as people who live as we ought in lives of holiness and godliness? Are we prepared for the coming of Christ? There's a seriousness about this. There's a remembering of the promises of God. Again, if I could stress to you that this is serious. There's a seriousness about holiness and godliness. There's a seriousness about being prepared for His coming again and leaning into His grace and understanding without Him you are nothing. Let me read to you a couple quotes. This is, first one is A.W. Tozer. says, when he returns is not as important as the fact that we are ready for him when he does. Jonathan Edwards, and I, I love this, uh, he, he wrote a series of, of resolution statements. One of those resolution statements is this, I will never do anything that I would be ashamed to do if it were the last hour of my life. What a great resolution. What a great resolution. And I think this is an important reality for us. Are we so spiritually aware that we don't presume upon God that we can do whatever we want to do and he's not ready to split back the sky as a scroll? Are we ready for his coming again? And even if he delays, if he tarries, if he delays his coming for another thousand years, I've done too many funerals of too many young people to sit here and tell you, you've got tomorrow guaranteed. I've done too many funerals of people under the age of 20 to tell you that you've got tomorrow guaranteed. So are we ready? For the believer, it should give us a sense of urgency to be holy and godly and to share the gospel. If you're in here and you're a non-believer, there is coming a time whether Christ comes or you die that the offering of grace will no longer be extended to you. But this is what we do oftentimes. We, we say things like, I've got till later that I'll get serious with God. I, I'm going to do what I want to do now. I'm going to be the captain of my own ship now. I'm gonna, you know, the Lord of my own life now. I'm going to have my fun. I'm going to sow my wild oats. I'm going to suck the marrow out of life. I'm going to do all that now. Later, I'll probably get serious about God. Or even Christians do this in, in, in a lot of ways. They'll say, hey, you know what? My marriage stinks. I'm going to wait. You know, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that now. Maybe later. I'll deal with it later. 
I'm not discipling my kids now, but you know what? Maybe I'll figure that out later. Or I'm not using the gifts or the talents or the resources that God has given me to the glory of God. I'll do that later. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be obedient in giving when I win the lottery or have more money. I'll, I'll, I'll be obedient with the, t- the gifts that he's given me later when I've got more time or freedom. I'll, I'll just do those things later. This is the heart of a fool. Two things I would say here. One, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you were, if Christ were to come back today, would you have any spiritual regrets? I'm not talking about you didn't invest in you know certain stocks at the right time. I'm not talking about you should have bought this house instead of this. House. I'm not talking about you took the wrong job or, or or you messed up in your first. I'm talking about did do would you have spiritual regrets? Like would if Christ were to come, would you say no? I wanted to disciple my children or I wanted to have a spiritually healthy marriage or I wanted to to pour into my church or I wanted to share the gospel with my neighbor would you have that regret second question or, or statement I would say delayed obedience is disobedience delayed obedience is disobedience if God has called you to do it, do it. Only till later. Do it now. Do it now. You know, again, I'm going to speak to the non-believer. So many of non-believers, they put themselves in a dangerous spiritual condition because Again, this scripture stands up to, to criticism and will. It has for 2,000 years, will continue to stand up to any criticism or skepticism you want to bring to it. The reality is, is that the heart of a non believer suppresses what is true because they love themselves more than they want to bow down to Christ. And this is a dangerous spiritual condition for you because w- what this means is that the wrath of God awaiting in fire. Should God so choose to come today, it's going to be aimed at you. And as the text says, for the destruction of the ungodly. That's stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. I'm not making this up. If God's word is true, there's the truth. That truth is Christ. He's the only way to be made right with God. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. You know it's true, but you suppress it. And you suppress it because of your own sinful heart. You suppress it because of your own sinful nature. You suppress it because you don't want to be out of control of your own life. You want to do what you want to do. That's a very dangerous gamble. It's a very dangerous gamble. When Christ has offered you a buffet, he said, come and eat. Come to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Come and feast on the greatest meal you've ever seen in your life, and you continue to eat mud, pretending it satisfies it's a dangerous gamble. 
I would implore you to come and be saved. Realize that you are suppressing the truth in your own heart and soul and mind. For whatever sinful reasons you have, you are suppressing what is true. And ask God to remove that heart from you and give you life in Christ. Before it's too late. And he may not come in our lifetimes. But even if you live to 110, your suppression will remain should God not remove it. So fall on your face before him to do so. For the believer in here, if I could encourage you, if you're encouraged by this, like, yes, I, I've been walking according to him, praise be to God. Keep growing and moving and being obedient to Christ and sharing the gospel. If, if this is a bit of a conviction for you, I would implore you to press into Christ. And walk obediently in godliness and holiness in whatever aspect he's calling you to do. Maybe it's sharing the gospel. Maybe it's to be a spiritual leader. Maybe it's to fix your marriage. Run to Christ. Run to him. Let's pray together. Father, what is clear from the scriptures is that there will be a time where your patience on ungodliness will run its course. And this is not a, uh, a, a measurement to see who's better than someone else. This is simply who has bowed their knee to Christ versus those who have a hardened heart towards the truth of the gospel. And I pray, God, that you would soften hearts of our church, of anyone watching online, or anyone who may see this later, that they need the mediator between God and man, which is Christ alone. That there's no other way to escape the coming wrath of God but to be found in Jesus. No other way. And there's no greater time than now. Today is a day for salvation. So would you save God? Maybe there's a very hard heart in the room. I pray you would open their eyes, make the blind see, bring the dead to life. And let them see the beautiful invitation to come to the table, an act of mercy and grace upon them a sinner, just as you invited me. Anybody who's come to faith in Christ came as sinners and were invited to something they had no business being in. This is your grace and mercy, saving sinners from the uttermost. So God, would you do it today? Would you do it in this place? I pray that there's people who've been coming to church a long time that aren't saved. I pray they would stop spectating and start being satisfied in Christ. For you are coming again. That much is true. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will roll the sky back, the clouds back as a scroll.
and will return for his bride and to make all things new. A great act of love, but also a great act of wrath. The fire will consume just as the flood did. Will burn up in judgment and make all things new. Help us to remember the promises, the great promises of our God. Help us to take great seriousness in your in your word and walk in holiness and godliness. And may we not put off tomorrow what you have called us to today. Whether that's salvation, whether for the believer it's obedience and repentance, or whatever you're calling us to do. May it be done.